Beecham le legacy, the dynasty continues. <laughs> Paul is going to do the first in our series of Lenten lectures. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Beecham. So the only appropriate thing to do is to start with an apology for getting in three Beecham's falsehood hoisted upon you in, three, in four weeks is, is something that ought not happen to anybody. And uh, it wasn't supposed to be like this, but the old man in me scheduled myself to teach one of these lessons while I was out of town. Actually, and, the other ones weren't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Want to make it tough on an old man, right? Uh, well, this is the beginning for us of a total of four lessons from a Lenten series that is written by various members of the church. And Julie Wright got them out. She'd ask me if I'd write one of them. I said, I can't do that. These lessons have got 10 single space type pages each. <laughs> you can preach off of each one of them for three weeks. Uh, but I'm going to just kick it off today with trying to set the tone for what the I am sayings of Jesus, for their significance at this time of year for the Lenten season coming up on Easter. Uh, next week, Charlotte Dodson has been so kind as to allow me to impose on her, and she will teach for us. Uh, and that today's lesson is I am the bread of life, Next week, it's I'm the light of the world. And then Ron Peterson will teach for us the third week, um, I am uh, the way, the truth, and the light. And then on Easter, of course, there's no Sunday school. And then following the week of Easter, while a number of us are down in Callaway, Malone Dodson has condescended to uh, uh, teach to us. And we do need to hear from him once in a while, don't we? I told him we need to hear from him once in a while other than weddings and funerals. And he said, well, you know, we just need to go where it is that he's preaching, which ain't here. So, and he'll probably teach the lesson entitled Am the Resurrection and the Life. Now, this, this lesson series, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it really strikes right at the heart of the gospel. There's nothing that Jesus said recorded in the gospels that carry the weightiness of saying I am because it harkens back to Moses and God with the burning bush. What is your name? And isn't this kind of interesting? God said, I am that I am. Hmm. A little strange way of saying it. And then he told him, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and I'm, I'm the Lord God eternal. And several times in Jesus' confrontations with the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders who were so skeptical of him, he throws out the, the saying, I am. Don't think they missed that at all. They knew exactly what he was saying. And on at least two occasions in John, uh, they were taking up stones to stone him. 
you, a mere man, are claiming to be God, will kill you for this. And so these are strong sayings uh, by our Lord. And uh, the, the one that we are going to get into today is, I am the bread of life. Now, when I looked at this in context, this is recorded in the sixth chapter of John, and I'm going to do something that you're not supposed to do. I'm going to read y'all most of the sixth chapter of John. And I'm going to read it rather than paraphrase it because the reading just reads so, so marvelously. But now here's the way I'd like for us to think as we listen to this. <clears throat> the language used in this writing by John is, is very interesting language. At the one and the same time, think about these areas that John's talking about. He is talking about the material, temporal, now thing. I am the bread of life. This is going to be in a situation of where he fed 5,000 people. Gave people something to eat. Material goods. Nope, you can decide whether or not when you're eating, whether you can see the spiritual blessing in that or whether you just happen to like food. But think of the fact that Christ is not negating the material aspect of our life and the need for material sustenance. So think about present time, present world sense that's in Jesus' thought as he's saying this. Secondly, think about the spiritual sense. That is, I, that he is the bread of life. We, we know, without having to be told, that here he's talking in symbolic language. And he's talking about the, the spiritual benefit of belief in him. So you got the, the absolute material, and right in with it, with the very same words or the next phrase, is the clear spiritual significance. Jesus is telling us something about what it is he's going to do for us that is of salvation significance. Then listen in there also for words describing who he is and what he's about in terms of his messianic uh, role. The role of Jesus, God's Messiah, who has come into the world. For instance, he'll say in one place, uh, I'm the one that came down from heaven. And so look for hints in here that Jesus is saying to the people who he is. That that's his, his role. He's the savior of the world. He's sent here for the purpose of redeeming us. And then the fourth thing, that's a lot of things to keep in mind, the fourth thing is to think of the hints that might be in here about heaven and the eternal and kingdom of God references. Now, here's what's exciting about the verbiage that I'm going to read to you in a second. You're, you're listening along. I think we can hear a bit of this in here. The present day material, <clears throat> the spiritual 
personal salvation for us, the messianic role, and a hint about the future to come. Now let's read this. Okay. St. John 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs. They saw something they liked. The miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the hillside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, now listen to Jesus' concern about our current problems. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? They're out in the country. There's no 7-Eleven, no Kroger around the corner. He asked this to test Philip, for he already knew in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for everybody um, to have a bite. Big crowd. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves, probably little biscuits, not a loaf, and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? It's amazing that seeing the problem that that guy had the gumption to even bring up a kid with a little lunch with him. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. Now, some people say the number here is 5,000 men plus women and children. Might have been 12, 13,000. I don't know. You, you can decide what you think. It's still a bunch of folks, right, considering five little biscuits and two fish. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Be careful, just take a small bite, we got a big crowd. He did the same uh, with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Think about a moment right here. Gathering. Why do you want to gather up the scraps? Think of the Roman Catholic idea of the Eucharist. The bread is not only symbolic of the body of Christ, it is the body of Christ. And the wine is the blood of Christ. If it's been blessed by the Lord, uh, is there a significance to what's left? I don't even have an idea on that. I'll just put it out for y'all. <clears throat> so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now that's got to have been a mind-blowing experience, don't you think? Wouldn't you like to have been there? God, 12 baskets full of leftovers? <coughs> after you've already fed a gang? When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake 
Well, they got in a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. I'm sorry, I skipped a place. The people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did and began to say, Surely this is the prophet that was to come into the world. There's your messianic. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king, by force withdrew into the hills by himself. Then the evening came, the disciples went to the lake, got in a boat, set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough, and when it rode three or, or, or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. A ghost, an apparition, maybe. But he said to them, It is I, do not, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Don't take any ghost in the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Now when you start hearing talk like this, you're either going to believe it or you're going to say, Come on, the author is fudging. You know? This is... This is this is strange stuff happening here. And we are being called on as Christians to believe that God has done something indeed strange to our usual everyday word, world in bringing his Messiah to us. The next day the crowd that stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. So some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got in the boats and went to Capernaum in search of him. They were ready to hear another sermon and eat another meal. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I gave you something to eat. Don't work for the food that spoils. Now here's your spiritual application. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Okay, a spiritual thing, and again, something about who he is. Then they ask him, and I think this is one of the, this is one of the few verses of personal favorites of mine in the Bible. What does it take to be saved? What you got to do to be saved? Here it is. They ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires. What is it? Jesus answered, The work of God is this. You ready? Here's what God requires. To believe in the one he sent. That's it. Nothing else. No fancier than that. Believe in the one he sent. Can you think of anybody who was ever saved any more simply than the thief on the cross? Lord, would you remember me when you come in your glory? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's it. Believe in the one he sent. 
nothing you can do to be saved. Can't do anything. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then, as though he hadn't already done something miraculous, will you give that we may see it and believe you? Huh? Weren't you here last night? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, another type of bread. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And then watch him switch on. For the bread of God is not what, but he. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now Jesus called himself bread. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's, that's, that's very descriptive language, isn't it? Jesus got no problem calling himself bread and water and drink. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of them that he's given me, but raise them up in the last day. Now there's a foretelling of our spiritual future with him. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. And at this, the Jews began to grumble because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They knew what he was saying. They said, is this not Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he say, I came down from heaven? You go over to John 8, and they, they, don't, they don't say you're the son of Mary and Joseph. They say, you're an illegitimate Samaritan. We know about you, Mama. You're a Samaritan. How do we know who you are? We know who we are. How do we know who you are? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me, how about this, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Paul says in Ephesians, what do you expect out of a dead man? You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You expect nothing out of a dead man. A dead man can't bring himself to God. How does a dead man get to God? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. And only He has seen the Father. Of course, talking about Himself. I tell you the truth. He who, how do you get everlasting life? He who believes 
has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If a man eats of this bread, talking about himself, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh. A strange talk, which I will give for the life of the world. Then here's what the Jews said, which is the natural question. Uh, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, and in the and in the days after Jesus' uh, death and after the, the uh, early church was being formed, there were people that thought that Christians were actually cannibals because they said stuff like this, eat my flesh. They met together and had the Lord's Supper and ate his flesh and drank his blood. I figured if you do that, you've got to be a cannibal. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the, at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now you've really got to be looking at a spiritual interpretation of that, haven't you? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remain, remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Our forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, you know, that, that kind of stuff takes a little bit of interpretation, doesn't it, as to what, what we're going uh, to believe about it. Here are these images, earthly images. If, you, if we try to pick them off one at a time and look at them, I think we can say this much about the material aspect. Is the Lord interested in the material needs that we have in this life? Is he important <coughs> to this Messiah? And we know the answer to that. You bet. You bet. This is North Fulton Community Charity stuff right straight down the line, isn't it? Right? Take them some 50-pound sacks of rice. Bring, get your cans to church. Where's my love? You know, this is doing God's work. When we think of in another spot where he's, he gives the parable of the sheep and the goats, he said, that you got people are going to be separated and the judgment's going to come to this. What's the judgment over? I was hungry. Did you give me anything to eat? I was thirsty. Did you give me anything to drink? I was a stranger. You take me in at your house. I didn't have anything to wear. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any clothes. I was homeless. I was sick. I was in prison. Were you there? If you're there, come on in, brother. You know what it's about. You didn't see me when you saw them. I don't know who you are. 
remind you, I think about every time we go down to Peru. I'll try to talk about this. Just seeing to run into some people down there. And last year, when we were down there, a woman came in. Uh, there wasn't anything particularly wrong with her, uh, as I remember. She had a couple of 10, 12-year-old boys, and her husband had been sick, had gallbladder surgery, and was having trouble recovering. And she said to us that uh, sometimes they had one sole, sole is about 35 cents. She could go to the store and buy eight or 10 pieces of bread for them to eat. Chris Leinert and I were there. What do you think we did? What do you think we did? I ain't talking about, I'm talking about me, but I'm talking about me. We did what we ought to do. We reached down in our pockets and took out most of the solas we had and gave them to that woman. Okay? Why? Because we couldn't do anything else. What else do you do in the face of that? James said, you say, well, my brother, God bless you. Be, be warmed and filled and good luck to you. He said, no. You, you either give them something to eat or you don't. Right? And this idea that we're going to see the Lord in our lives, in the faces of those that are needy. And we're either going to recognize the Lord or we're not. We're going to do, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm so delighted to be a part of this class. This, this is a class that's busy doing a lot of that aspect of God's work. When we get down to the, um, to the aspect of the, of the spiritual, uh, we can think of the words out of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. What do we think that means? Give us this day our daily bread. We, we ought to be simple enough to say, Lord, give us for our material life the sustenance. Give us what it is we need, right? We can call it bread. It may be money. Maybe a place to live. Maybe uh, enough money to fill up your gas tank. But it's that idea that we are recognizing that on whichever of these levels, and you see, I think we see Jesus talking on two or three of these levels at once, sometimes. But on, on whatever level uh, we think we are, that we recognize that we are totally dependent on God for everything. Paul said, and when he was confronted by the group and by the, by the uh, philosophers in Athens, Paul said, in him we live. He was trying to tell them about the God, you know, they had the statue to the unknown, or the monument to the unknown God. In him we live and move and have our being. And we know that, don't we, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We know what we're saying. Lord, all that we are and all that we're going to be and who we are and what we are and what we're about, it either is all happening 
in and through him, or we don't know anything. We are totally dependent on him. Isn't that a wonderful language Paul used? In him, we live and move and have our being. And that's, that's a pretty simple way of saying it. In his high priestly prayer, uh, in the 14th chapter of John, Jesus is, has said to them that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And we'll get into that in another lesson later. And after he has said to them, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you know. And then one of his disciples, Philip, says, Lord, we don't know. We don't know where you're going. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip? Have I been here in your midst? Philip says, show us the Father and it'll suffice us. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good request. <laughs> We've got Jesus right here in front of us. He's done all these miraculous signs. And Philip is asking to see God the Father, whom no man has ever seen and lived. Maybe didn't even know what he was asking for. But Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been here with you this long and this much, and you don't think you've seen the Father yet? You know, you don't. Do, do you not think you know what the Father's about? What the Father's about is about doing what I'm doing. He in, in, intimates, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The. Um, the incarnation is, these are all aspects of the incarnation, and that's what we really are talking about in this kind of language. We're talking about following the creation itself, God speaking a universe into existence out of the power of his mouth. Maybe the next incident that is of the same kind of significance is the fact that the God who spoke the universe into existence became a man like us. And I think it's it's so easy. We, we've heard the story of Jesus, baby Jesus and, and, and Jesus the teacher. We hear the stories of Jesus all the time and we've maybe sometimes we have heard them so much that it it's it becomes um we quit hearing it. Let's see what the incarnation is. The God who spoke this material world into existence condescended to come back to come to this world and be born a material, real person like us. Christians believe, is it not? That we have a significance with God such that he is calling us his children. And God regards the, the difficulty of the lostness of humankind and the contamination of sin in us and everything that we've got so much so that he himself 
came to us. And rescued us and was here in our midst in, in a fleshly way and was in every kind of way totally a man, a human being, just as much as you and I are, right? And the story that comes out of that is that he was totally, we believe in, in our uh, creeds, he's totally God and totally man. And that in his death and resurrection is for us something that never happened before, never ever will happen again. These are singular events in, the, in all of eternity. But God, in order to rescue us, became one of us, humbled himself, tasted death for us, so that these words about, if you eat this bread, you will never die. We believe that, do we not? We believe that? We believe that as soon as we step out of this existence, we're going to step into another existence. It can be easy to get, get away from that because we get so caught up in the, you know, in this world. Our friend Laura Dickerson, Laura and Don were missionaries in um, Kenya when we were over there a couple of years ago. And uh, Laura was feeling the call into the ministry and Laura was feeling also the call to be a missionary. Her husband, Don, was having difficulty with that. And then it happened, a terrible automobile wreck in which a dump truck slammed into Laura's car. And, and Laura would tell you very plainly, it, she had caught a chest injury, the steering wheel right in, right in her chest. And it knocked her for a period of time to where she couldn't breathe. <coughs> and Laura had the experience, she said, it was as though there was like a thin see-through veil right on this side of me and all I would have had to have done is just pushed it over and I've been on the other side. You think we're that close to the other side? And her children were in that wreck too. We're talking now about the uniqueness of Christ and the significance of who he is and what he does for her. One of her sons had a fractured arm from that wreck. And the bone was poking out, poking against the skin and tinting the skin up. And they were getting ready to x-ray it to see what they were going to have to do. And her father had gotten there. He laid his hands on that boy and prayed for that child. And when they took the x-ray, the bone was absolutely okay. We're called to, we're called to believe in that kind of God. 
we know it's not happening every moment in front of us. The other child got hit in the head in the wreck, and in that he was having difficulty focusing, and they thought they were going to have to do surgery to shorten one of the muscles, the lateral muscles on the eye movement, and to get his vision back in trace. So he says to his mother one night, right before they were to go see the doctor and do something about it, Mama, I want you to pray for me that God will heal my eye and I won't have to have any surgery. And she goes like, oh my goodness. What is, um, well, yes, we will pray that God will ultimately heal your eye. No, Mama, I want you to pray that he'll heal my eye tonight. And when I wake up in the morning, my eye will be okay. What are you going to say to your kid? Putting God on the spot, right? And the boy wouldn't accept anything else. And so she prayed with him. And he got up the next morning and his vision was restored. Now these are amazing stories, are they not? Can you see why her husband decided it really was okay to go on and go to Kenya? <laughs> if God was going to be with them in that. You know, three miracles in that family. You know, these ain't strange, weirdo, voodoo kind of people. These, these are okay folks. Okay, We're encouraged to believe that we have a God who really is that kind of person. Then the last part I want us to think about is this. Now, listen to the way we got, we got a second. Okay, I got to hurry up and quit. Matthew, this is the last Lord's Supper out of Matthew. 26th chapter of Matthew. Now listen to this. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now listen to this. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until, until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, what do you think about that? Do you think that when all the disciples got through living out their lives and died and went to heaven, do you think they drank wine with Jesus over on the other side? Remember, the resurrected body of Jesus was real. He ate fish on the shore of Galilee, right? With them. Resurrection body and eat food. So here's the challenge to think about faith expander. You think, Roger, when we get to heaven, that we're going to be eating and drinking with Christ? In the story of the prodigal son, you could say that the feast that the father gives 
to rejoice over the prodigal son is a foretelling of what heaven will be like for us and it encourages me all this kind of stuff encourages me to be very very careful that i don't see the heavenly life to be like some sort of thinly veiled ghost-like creatures sitting around on clouds and disappearing into here and going there but to consider the possibility that we might all take the bible straight up literally when jesus said that to his disciples do you think that jesus and the disciples drank real wine in the heavenly kingdom at another point i think i'll just leave you right there and let you think on that i'll say amen amen well i'm allowed to say an amen beer too huh beer too. oh beer <laughs> I just messed up the, uh, the the holiness, you know. There's something different with drinking wine anew in the kingdom with Jesus as opposed to having a beer with him. <laughs> this kind of talk by the Lord that looks at bread meaning something to eat, that looks at bread as meaning all that we need that God is giving us that allows us to see who he really is and encourages us to believe and have faith that all of the I am sayings are things that are there to help us build our faith and have the courage of our faith and to believe that when we pass on from here we're going into a different realm that none of us has the slightest foggiest idea how in the world it can be but it's going to be real and very real and we're going to be real people in that very real eternal place I think the scripture promises that and uh, I feel encouraged to believe it let, let, let's close with a moment of prayer our Lord your word is so gracious and so grand and so much you're saying to us give us a courage have faith and to cast ourselves totally upon you knowing that in you we do live and move and have our being bless us as we go from here in christ's name amen amen, amen.